Welcome back to the Villainies Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer. I'm joined again by Andrew Hood. Uh, Andy, we don't have to worry about any over-aggressive press room uh, hall monitors kicking us out this time because I set the scene for us. Where are we right now? Where are we, where are we recording the podcast? Yeah, no angry hall monitors tonight. We're in our Ghent apartment in the heart of a historic Ghent. It's our last night, really. Tomorrow we pack up, head down to Compiègne for uh, Roubaix, and then on Monday... Flights back to reality. The, 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 the Classics bubble is about to burst. I know. I'm really sad. It's been an amazing couple of weeks here at the Classics. We are in our apartment. Gregor Brown, our colleague, is sitting over there furiously typing away a story at the dinner table here. Uh, but yeah, we are going to preview Perry Roubaix in this episode. We'll have one more podcast for you after Roubaix. Hoodie and I will be exhausted at that point. We may get kicked out of the press room uh, during the recording of that one, but yeah. But no. we'll be in the velodrome in Roubaix. Yeah, yes. it'll be legit. Uh, so we have Perry Roubaix coming up on Sunday. The listeners are probably going to be listening to this on Saturday. Uh, I will be riding my own bike on Saturday in the Perry Roubaix Challenge, which is the sportive that takes in. In a bunch of different sectors of the gravel. So, listeners, as you're listening to this, please uh, pour one out for old Fred's here because I'm going to be bouncing my way down the stones. And hoodie, I got to say, I, I did I did a little recon of my own the other day. All oh, those things painful, are painful, brutal. It hurts to walk on those things, let alone oh, ride a bike. Oh, the Arnberg Forest. They put some new stones in right at the mouth, and I think they chose the stones for how rough and disjointed they are. And I think they specifically paid people to like leave mortar out and just make them as rough as possible. Because well, there has been uh, there has been some concern of these uh, Ami de Roubaix. You know, they've been doing this renovation of some of these pave sectors mm. and doing a great job of actually conserving some of these old farm roads and finding new ones. A lot of them uh, have been abandoned. Uh, I saw a story in the newspaper the other day in a French paper that they're, they're constantly kind of unearthing. Some of these have been topped over. So they're going out there and uh, preserving these sectors of cobbles. But there's some concern that they're making them, quote, too easy. But I don't think that's the case. No, <laughs> that's not the case. I was supposed to say they, they have placed some new stones in the first several hundred meters of um, Arenberg Forest. And these stones, yes, they are new. That means they're they're more rough than the other ones. All the, the older stones have been polished down. Yes, there's huge gaps in the mortar which tend to eat your wheel and make it a pretty rough ride. But these new stones are jagged and they are sharp. And uh, I'm going to be really interested to see how the riders fly over that. I would be interested to say how I feel after this Perry roubaix challenge. I'm doing this abridged 145-kilometer route, uh, but I'm prepared to just get my like legs and arms shaken off to suffer to really suffer and you'll never critique another Robe rider ever again why didn't he attack well now you'll know why yeah well that's the thing about these sportives is look I mean yeah they're fun and they're enjoyable and you go and ride around with a bunch of goobers out there but they do give you a sense for what the roads actually feel like and if you like the classics uh, I know we talked about this on the last episode but like you really got to come over here and check these things out because you get to ride on the actual course and you get to see oh it's it's not fun it is it is really painful yeah. What is fun is uh, hitting up a nice cafe afterward, uh, hitting one of the fel fine Belgian beers. Yeah. There's some good be beers up there in France as well, but it's not quite as tasty as uh, what we see in Belgium. So let's get to the pro race. You know, Hoodie, we come into Paris-Roubaix, which is the big crown jewel of this block of racing. We've been here for two weeks. We have six big races on the cobblestones that we've already taken in. Uh, those... Belgian races, you know, the Tour of Flanders, E3 Haralbeke, Schkeldepries, um, Ghent-Wevelgum, and now we come to Paris-Roubaix. And Paris-Roubaix, 
First of all, it's owned by ASO, the company that puts on the Tour de France. And it really is this standalone event that comes at the end of this block of racing. It's not like Flanders, where parent company Flanders Classics has you know, rejiggered the schedule and moved some of these lesser cobbled classics around to make this big runway up to the Tour of Flanders and build a lot of enthusiasm. Paris-Roubaix really stands on its own. Here's the thing, Hoodie, I'm asking you, do we think that that diminishes the hype, the buzz, or the overall value of Paris-Roubaix at all? I don't think so at all. I think it's really is kind of the crown jewel of these northern monuments. Um, it is, obviously, it's a French race, but even I was talking to some of the riders the last couple of days, and, and for them, this really is kind of the pinnacle of this whole period of racing. To them, it is, uh, it, it outshines, I think, uh, even Flanders. I mean, Flanders is a big race for the Belgians, but I think Paris-Roubaix is the most famous one-day race in the world. I mean, people know bike racing back in Texas or Iowa, wherever somebody's from, they'll know that crazy race they do over the Pave in, in France. It makes the headlines worldwide. And I think that it's, um, you know, it, it does fit in well, I think, with, uh, with this big block of racing we had. And, of course, it's kind of the transition. It's the end point of this northern northern classics period. And it just segues right into the to the Ardennes. Um, I think the, the 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 buzz. It's a different buzz when you go down there. It's not uh, it's not Flanders. It's not. It doesn't have that. The Flemish fans are you know so passionate about the racing. You go down there in France, and you know it's definitely a different kind of feel to it. Um, but there's a good scene, a good scene there in in um, in Compiègne at the start. But once you hit the pave sections, uh, the sectors of cobbles out there. Uh, last year, I, I rode the course with a photographer friend of mine, James Start, and we had a blast out there. And just huge, huge crowds out on the on the race course, all the different pave. And uh, you get into a car, you just bounce from sector to sector. I think we hit like four or five sectors last year. We were on the sector when uh, Peter Sagan attacked. We witnessed that firsthand, and the scene there is just amazing. It rivals anything in terms of crowds and excitement as, as Flanders. Yeah, a week ago when I did my story asking riders to compare Flanders and Roubaix around a couple of different topics, you know, I asked, oh, which one has better crowd and ambiance? And most of the riders said Flanders that they thought it would it, that it that it outlasted a Roubaix a little bit more because the action on the hills were, you know, you were slowed down as a rider, so you could soak it in a little bit more. And everyone talked about like the crowds at the Quermont as just being, you know, unreal. But when I asked them, which race would you rather win? Every single one of them, except Steen Vandenberg, who is from Udenarda, the, finish, the finishing town of the Tour of Flanders. He, he said Flanders, but every single one of them said Roubaix. And that right there, you know, that sort of keyed me in. It was like, okay, you know, they said that Flanders was more tactical and Flanders was more challenging and Flanders was this, that, and the other. But to a T, everyone said, yeah, I think I'd rather win Roubaix. And like you said, it's the history. It's the images. It's the epitome of this hard man appeal that um, cyclists from this region, but also I would say cyclists around the world who maybe aren't like the wayfish, wayfish climbers. They aren't the, the guys and gals who are the best at going uphill. Um, it's an image that resonates with these cyclists. I know, I mean, I'm six foot three and I'm a swimmer, I'm a big guy. And it was some of those images of Tom Bonin and Andre Schmiel and, you know, Johan Museo that really appealed to me because these riders looked more 
they looked more like I did than uh, Alberto Contador or something <laughs> like that. So I feel like for all the Clydesdales listening in today, Pyro is your, your kind of race. That's your big world championship. So I think, and th- and then you said for the riders too. It's like for the cobblestone riders. This is like this is the end of the road. So this is the race. It was a big party Sunday night. Yeah, where afterwards they are really, they're letting loose. I, I talked to Taylor Finney the other day at the start line of Skelepreeze. Hey, you know, how did you guys celebrate Alberto Betiel's big win at uh, Flanders? He said, well, I mean, we, you know, hugged each other and he had a beer because Betiel's not racing uh, Roubaix. But he said it was kind of back to work on Monday. Mm. You know, so the riders really don't get to really throw down after Flanders. They have to wait till Roubaix. That's right. The it was interesting. Uh, yesterday, I went to the Dasuni Quick Step press conference and had a chance to uh, chat with Patrick Lefevre, the big boss over there at, at that team. And he said that for them, uh, Roubaix is is as big as as big as Flanders, which is kind of surprising, you know, considering it's a Flemish team. All their sponsors are Flemish. They have this Belgian tradition. But it's that that's the race that kind of resonates with the larger public, and that's the race they want to win. And then I was talking with uh, Yves Lampert, same thing, Belgian guy, Belgian national champion. And I asked him the same, which race do you want to win more, Flanders or Roubaix? No hesitation. He goes, I want to win Roubaix. And I was surprised by that as well, because I just thought, you know, if you're a Flemish guy, if you're a Belgian national, man, that's that's your race. But that just tells you how big and how much prestige that uh, Roubaix holds in the, in the peloton. And it's interesting, too, uh, Lampard was telling me that, you know, explaining how and why Roubaix is, is a much harder race than even Flanders. Flanders is demanding because it has the bergs and the climbing. But he says during Flanders, you know, all the intensity is on the bergs, you know, the Koppenberg and all these fa- famous climbs. But he says often in, and he says that's why you kind of see these groups forming in Flanders, is that there'll be kind of a little stop at top of these climbs. People regroup, have a chance to recover before they push on. He said at Paris-Roubaix, it's just pedal to the metal, start to finish. You just get on the you get on the, the big sectors of cobbles. You just go as hard as long as you can. And once you get on the pavement, you just keep driving. And that's how you see these big breakaways last. You know, a guy can attack from 50, 60K out and win Roubaix. So the big storyline coming into this year's Paris-Roubaix, at least when you look at the favorites, is that there's not one outright favorite. You know, in years past, we've come into Roubaix with like a Baboonin or a Cancellara or someone riding an amazing high, an amazing, you know, wave of fitness, uh, Saga on that one year. You, you can just look at them and say, okay, this person is probably a couple of watts stronger than anyone else in the field. Not guaranteed that they're going to win, but since Roubaix is such a punishing race, such a physical test, you can kind of put that person at the top of the list. But this year coming in, we just we we haven't seen that person. I mean, through these last six cobblestone races dating back to mid-March, we have six different winners. Uh, Zdenek Stibar, Alberto Betial, Alexander Kristoff. Um, you know, I'm forgetting some of the other guys. Well, the, the guy that's uh, is most impressive so far in these classics, uh, Vanderpool. Vanderpool. You know, he's not even racing Roubaix. Yeah. So that takes out one of the big names. So we've seen a bunch of different winners. We haven't seen any team be so strong that they can completely control the dynamics of the race. Dissunit Quick Step is strong, but they're not as strong as they've been in years past. And that really opens up the, first of all, the list of winners, but also just the guessing game of what the heck is going to happen on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. I think that without having a, a clear big favorite, I don't think even the riders themselves will know how to race. So I think that kind of opens up the race, to, I think, to two scenarios. One would be 
someone who simply has great legs and who is fearless and just goes for it. Because if it's a, a race of equals and someone just takes the action and, and, and takes control of the race themselves, they could just get the momentum and just keep going. And the other side would be a, a more tactical Robet, if that's even possible. But if you see a team, there's quite a few teams that have quite a few cards to play in this race. You look at uh, Quickstep, obviously, we'll have two or three favorites with Joubert, Lampert, and uh, Stebar. But also Trek Segafredo. They haven't done really great in these classics. I mean, Degen Kolb was second a few days ago at uh, Genvelgovem. But, uh, you know, he uh, that team is really stacked with guys who can do well at Robay. And even Team Sky, it's their last chance to race the monument of Robay in the Sky jersey because they're changing the Team Ineos. They've got a pretty good team for Robay as well. So you're going to see teams maybe riding more, you know, with more options in the table. That could make this a much more tactical Robay than, than usually just a brawl. Yeah, I have my list of you know, potential favorites here. And you look at some of these names and in my mind, I see the strengths, but also the weaknesses. So Wout van Aert, he's obviously extremely strong. We've seen him right at the front of the races throughout this whole classics period. Incredible power output, tactically really strong, but he's kind of untested at this distance still. It's just his second year of racing road at this distance. We've seen him be tactically very smart, but at Flanders, he ran out of gas in the last 20K. Uh, Peter Sagan, Peter Sagan won this race last year. He is a monument winner. We love Peter Sagan, but Peter Sagan He hasn't been riding gate this year, has he? He hasn't been riding that good. Uh, Greg Van Avermaet, Greg Van Avermaet, super strong, tactically smart. Probably doesn't have the strongest team doesn't have the strongest team of the race, doesn't have the strongest team that he's ever had coming into this Classics. And I don't know if he has the same form that he had in 2017 where he could, you know, have a mechanical early in the race and still ride back and win. Oliver Nason, Champagne, need I say more? <laughs> he's dried out by now. He's dried out by now. I think, I think he's, uh, he's kind of a guy who could actually win this race. Nason, yeah. yeah. Uh, we have Zdenek Stibar. I mean, we have Quick Step in general, Stibar, um, Philippe Gilbert, and uh, your man, our Belgian national champion, Yves Lampard. But I don't see either one of those guys as being strong enough to dictate the race or to just ride off the front. Finally, like you said, we had De- John Dagenkolb. He's won this race before. I don't think he's as strong as he was in 2015. And then we have a lot of guys who are sort of secondary on the list. Your Arno DeMars, Matteo Trenton, Sepp Van Mark, who normally would be high up on the list, but he had some uh, injuries that he was struggling through earlier in the classic season. So I, again, I look at this list and I don't see anyone who is heads and shoulders stronger than anyone else. Yeah, that also could uh, see a relatively large group come into the velodrome. A couple of years ago, we saw that pretty big group. I think it was when Wiggins raced as uh, yeah. Robe had a pretty good sized group coming in. When Degen called one, I think it's two fifteen. Um, the weather is always a factor in Robe. It looks like it's going to be another dry Robe. Sorry, kids at home, hoping to see a muddy Robe. It's not going to happen this year. But there's going to be quite a bit of wind. It's supposed to be blowing in from the north northeast, and it always picks up. And even when they say, "Oh, five ten mile an hour winds," it always kicks up in that afternoon. You know, those famous images of the dusty roads across the car four sectors there towards the end of Robay. And that's always that's going to be a huge factor. So if it's a headwind, it's going to be kind of a blocked race. But if it's a if it's a crosswind, it'll just create these big echelons and it could make for a really, really hard race. And that will tilt the favorite back just towards those kind of original favorites of guys who can go the distance, the Van Evermats, the Sagans, the Van Ertz. Now, Odie, the other day, you wrote a great piece for VelNews.com 
Com about the Dark Horses. Yes, we love uh, the Dark Horses. Not the top favorites, but the guys who are a little bit lower on the list, but who maybe have a lot of experience or a lot of talent, or just some of these tried and true cobblestone hard men and why they could win. Uh, I am pulling up this piece here. Why don't you tell me about some of these Dark Horses, some of these guys that made your list? We have Heinrich Hausler. Yes, we love the dark horses at, at Robert. It's, it's unique in this race because it is such a, a race where uh, everyone says, oh, you need to be lucky to win uh, Robet. But I think uh, I think it was Dirk DeMaul told me, he said, it's not having luck, it's not having bad luck because it's the crashes, those, those punctures, mechanicals. That's what's going to take you out of Robet. So if you avoid the bad luck and you have the good legs, you can go pretty deep in a race like Robet. And we've seen just occasionally these great kind of uh, one-off winners that just kind of keep knocking on the door of a race like Robet and you can actually produce these big wins like, you know, Matt Heyman a couple years ago spoiled... Uh, Tom Bonin's exit. I mean, he was gonna—he's gonna retire on the spot. Had Bonin won that year, he ended up racing a whole nother year because he wanted to win that record, uh, uh, Robey. And uh, Heyman, you know, got in that early break. Just had a great day. He was an experienced guy. Been knocking around. I think he had 15 Robeys at that point. Had the experience. Had the legs. Got in that group and then stayed with Bonin and just—he beat him. And uh, Bonin was going to retire at that moment. He ended up racing an extra year, which was a good thing to see Bonin around. But then you see Van Sumeren, you know, kind of same story a few years before. That's the guy, Journeyman. Just, you know, usually the key of these experienced riders, get into the early break, have the legs to latch on when the leader comes up and ride it into the velodrome, and almost anything can happen. Yeah, I'm looking at the first three names on your Dark Horse list, and these definitely fall into that category, which is experienced domestiques who, and under given you know given the right circumstances, could either have good luck or be given the freedom to fly. So Heinrich Hausler, uh, you know, he's been racing these races the better part of the last decade. He races races on Bahrain Merida. Conventional wisdom is that he's going to be working for Mate Mohorik, but you never know. Uh, Steen Vandenberg, he's raced this race a ton. He's a big, strong Belgian guy. He is, he was Tom Bonin's domestique. You know, he, conventional wisdom says he's going to be working for Oliver Nason, but you never know. I mean, maybe he gets in the early break. And then Daniel Ose. Love we, that Daniel We love Ose. the Ose. Yes. The Ose. Sagan's big henchman. The osmosis. And, uh, you know... Who knows? I mean, he has the size. We've seen him play a critical role in this race. Last year, he helped Sagan. Uh, and a big role in 17 to help Van Avermaet. Yeah, helped set up Van Avermaet and Sagan. Um, so, you never... You know, Andre Greipel, I see him on your list. Andre Greipel, you know, he's a guy. He's been knocking around. And he's done pretty well at some of these uh, these Northern Classics. I mean, he's a sprinter. So, you know, Andre Greipel, don't count him out. If he gets an early break, and he's been in the break in Roubaix a few times... And that's just it. If he's, he gets in the break and he's up there with guys like Van Avermaet and, you know, Standard, you know, who's going to win that? So, Hoodie, you know, we're talking about these dark horse guys. And sometimes sometimes the person who wins Roubaix isn't even a dark horse. It's someone who is even farther down the list. It's kind of, a, I wouldn't say a nobody, but it's a, uh, a never would have guessed he was going to win Roubaix. And earlier this week... You had a chance to interview the guy who's basically king of the never thought he was going to win Roubaix guys. Uh, who is this? Who is this? And what did you guys talk about? Uh, it's Dirk Demol, the uh, Belgian one-off winner. Is the only race he won as a professional. Won in the longest breakaway in Perry successful breakaway in Perry Roubaix history to win the race. Uh, 1988. He and another guy got in a breakaway. 
And Dirk Jamal, honest guy. I mean, he he's listening to the interview right now. He just said, he goes, I knew early on in my career I was never good enough to be a, a leader. I was just a worker. And that day he was riding for his captain. He said, you get in the break and be up the road when they come. But they never got him and they kept going. And uh, it's the only race he won in his career. He said it changed his life forever. Well, let's uh, listen to your interview with Dirk Dumal, who is now the DS of Katusha. Dirk Dumal, the start of Scale de Prix. What happened 31 years ago today? Yeah, it's exactly 31 years ago that I won uh, Roubaix, uh, the race uh, um, who changed my life afterwards. I mean, uh, it was a dream came true because that was the famous uh, race where you guys got that early breakaway yeah and i think it's the longest breakaway in robe history yeah that's uh, also i found out later um that it is the longest breakaway uh, that went till the end with, with the winner and yeah it was an unexpected win uh, it was a surprise and also for me it was a big surprise because i uh, had, a lo- had already long peace the peace i found peace already in the fact that i was not strong enough to be a leader not mentally not physically and i always tried to do my job and uh, that day I was uh, um, I was an early breakaway because uh, I was I was pointed on to to try to be there. I was there, and that day everything came uh, came good. And and uh, I always say I, I have been I can say it for myself. I have been a hard worker. Uh, I wasn't big talent, and um, I was always doing my best. And and uh, I keep saying when when you do that, there is always a day that you have something back. And for me, it was it was incredible uh, to have to have uh, the win in, in Rube. So. Yeah. Now, uh, when you say it changed your life, how did it change your life? I mean, obviously, being um, that name of winners is going to be a, a special honor. But what else? How has it impacted your life? Well, I mean, uh, when you finish, when I was finished second that day, I'm sure my family would remember that and my close friends, and uh, that that was it. But uh, it's, it's such a big difference to win a race and or being second. And uh, I mean, uh, on that moment, I didn't realize it, but then uh, later on, uh, how my life continued after I retired, uh, working with young riders, and then having a chance to come back in the prof peloton and the, the respect that, that you feel from so many people when, when they find out or when they hear that that, that, that you won Roubaix it's, 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 it's incredible it, it really changed my life that, that day otherwise I would have been remembered maybe as one of the riders when you're 40 years professional rider that means you are a good rider um, but, but um, a victory like that that, that, that changed everything Now is it a Roubaix kind of one of those races where if you keep attacking, keep racing year yeah. after year after year, those kinds of things could fall into place, more so than a race like uh, Flanders, yeah. which is more yeah. selective. It's, it's, the, it's a race like uh, when you never give up, of course, some, and also sometimes they say, yeah, you need luck. I, I'm, I disagree with that, that they say you need luck. What most important is that they, that they don't have bad luck. That helps already a lot. And uh, it's a race also, you have to keep fighting, you can never give up. Uh, when you come back, you can, you can even have a good result. Um, it's an exceptional race for, let's say, let's, let's, for fighters. And um, we have seen this often, often. Um, yeah, if when, you, when you don't give up, um, you can go home with a good result. Do you see a, a rider this year that's kind of caught your eye who might do like a Van Sumeren type ride or like Matt Heyman did a few years ago? Is there a rider out here in the bunch that you're kind of thinking? Yeah, yeah. We have seen it uh, already last last Sunday with Becho, who's a, who's a great rider. If you see, he was world champion, I believe, uh, European champion, time trial and everything as uh, under 23. He, uh, he he showed talent. And uh, uh, I also say there's more and more good riders. There are the, we have the favorites, but there are even more favorites and there are even more outsiders so there's so many riders who can who can, who can actually win now 
And who 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 is your, who is for you on Sunday to be top favorites? Can you pick out a few names? Oh, uh, with the same names when you talk about top favorites, uh, Van Avermaet. Uh, Sagan, mm. um, then of course the, the Koenig uh, Quickstep team. They have always uh, they're always in the game. Uh, a bit the same guys, but uh, also like uh, when I talk about my team, um, I I believe also for my team that I have uh, is the race who fits us the best. And uh, with Niels Pollitt who finished fi- next uh, on a nice fifth place in, in Flanders uh, last year, he was already seventh. And it's a race who fits him very well. It, it can be also him who can win. So there is. Yeah, more candidates than, than ever before. It changed so much compared to four or five years ago where you had like two, three guys, maybe five. But now you can have like 15, 20 who can, who can win the race. Is Roubaix the hardest race in cycling? Well, it's, it's, um, it's a special race. I mean, uh, for me it wasn't. Um, because I grew up in, in a neighborhood where we had, uh, when I was a young rider, I had a lot of races uh, on cobblestones and we are a bit used to it, but for I can, I can imagine the, the cobbles uh, that you have in Roubaix, you find this no, nowhere else. And uh, it's, it's a race you love it or you hate it, and I can imagine that some, some riders who, who had never seen cobblestones and they come in Roubaix, there must be a sh- almost a shock. It's, it's like the relation you love it or you hate it. And, yeah, it's a special thing. Eh? You love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right, thanks, Stuart. Good. Yeah, Hoodie, I love Dirk Damal. Uh, he used to be the DS at Trek Segafredo. I had many fun chats with him. And, and I think he had said the same thing, which was like, you know, the Roubaix made his career. I mean, that's the whole reason he's still in the sport and not, you know, I don't know. Operate. Working at the carpet factory. Yeah, working at a carpet factory or like, well, you know, well, working at a bike shop somewhere. So uh, we love Dirk Damal. Uh, okay, Hoodie, before we get out of here, um, we need to make some predictions. We need to put our money where our mouth is. And I say what we do is let's make an obvious prediction, so a favorite, and then a dark horse prediction since Paris-Roubaix got it. has been known to crown a dark horse or two. Okay. Who you got, Hoodie? Me first? Yeah. Okay. For my obvious favorite pick, I am going to go with Wout Van Aert. He has impressed me again in this classics period. He's actually, I think, been even better than he was in his dramatic debut last year. He's been more consistent. He ran out of gas a little bit there in the Cormont when Betty Ole attacked. He couldn't follow. He admitted that. But I think he'll be right in the mix. He's a cyclocross three-time world champion. The Cobbs are friendly to his bike handling skills. And I think that he will have the legs go the distance, and I think he'll win out of a reduced group. Okay, how about your dark horse pick? I'm gonna go with Heinrich Hausler just because if he wins, it'd be such a great story. The guy's been through the ringer throughout his career. You know, he came out gangbusters when he was a young kind of punk, admittedly, admittedly a punk. He, he, you know, he won on talent and, you know, he was one of those guys that had this natural talent, didn't have to work at it, got some big results earlier in his career. And I think he admittedly said he took it for granted, had a couple injuries and, he, and he's fought back and he, he's kind of the consummate pro. And uh, he just kind of fits that profile, just that the guy that just keeps plugging away, keeps plugging away. I talked to him a few times in the last couple of races, and he says he's really uh, been looking at Robey. He's got that date circled on his calendar for a long time, and he's, I think he's going to go all in. I like it. I'd love to see Heinrich Hauser uh, win Paris-Roubaix. Uh, readers of the website may know that uh, we tend to interview old Heinrich every now and again because he's really good insight on the sport and uh, usually a pretty funny quote or two. Yeah, yeah, he's got he's got the insight. 
So, okay, for my obvious pick, I'm going to go with Greg Van Avermaet. I think that Greg Van Avermaet has really been on top form throughout this classic season. He's been there at the finale of all these races, which shows that he is strong. He just he hasn't had the team this year. Um, his classics team, he's been missing a Daniel Oss. He's been missing a big lieutenant who can do a ton of work for him in some of these more tactical Belgian races. But I just think at Roubaix, in the last 30, 40 Ks, Tactics, what are tactics? Everyone is, it's just a, just a hard man race. And so, Van Aramat, he's on good form. I think he can do it. Um, for my dark horse pick, yeah, boy, I'm looking at, you know, it's like every team has that strong um, lieutenant, whether it's like a Jesper Stuyven or a Steen Vandenberg. Um, you know who I'm going to pick? I'm going to pick Taylor Finney. Well, there you yeah, go. the feel-good pick. Yeah, it's the heartstrings. Uh, Tyler Taylor Finney, he was eighth place at this race last year. It was a ride that inspired many Americans, uh, was not predicted. And I-, I talked to Taylor the other day, and he said he didn't know what kind of form he was on and he this year, so he had, he had no idea how he was going to do. But he said, you know, last year, I had no idea what kind of form I was on either. I struggled in the Belgian races, and then I had this great ride at Roubaix. He said... What he remembers most about that race was being in the front group and being completely shattered and blown and looking around and seeing all these strong men of the cobbles and realizing that they were all shattered and blown too. It gave him confidence, but it also just showed him how hard it really is to get to the front of one of these races. So I'm going to pick old Taylor. That would be two in a row for EF. Yeah. Education first. Yeah, that would be... That would be, uh, Mr. Vodders would be, uh, he'd be a happy JV. He'd be wearing the ar- pink Argyle. Uh, there's some still, there's some little touches little, there. Little a little bit there, yeah. yeah. Maybe his socks. Um, well, this is our final podcast before our final, this is our penultimate podcast. Indeed. So I just want to thank you all for following us along through this classic season. I've had a great time hanging out with you, Hoodie. We might be a little blown out for our Paris-Roubaix podcast because it's going to be late at night. We're going to be scrambling to get to the airport, a little frantic. So I don't know if we're going to remember to uh, say goodbye to the readers and thank them, to the listeners and thank them for listening along. So I don't know what have been, what have been some of your favorite memories from classic season thus far? Uh, I, I just, I, for me, I, I, I liked, uh, you know, I think Harold Becker to me was a great race because it's the mini tour of Flanders. It's kind of really, you know, that's when that whole energy is starting to build. We saw a real knockout race. Every race is, is I thought has been pretty good in, in these classics. And, and just if, as we've talked about, just being around this, this, you know, it's a place where cycling really thrives and it's just exciting to be in, you know, if you're a bike geek like all of us are just to be in this milieu you know it's like be hanging around the masters during masters where you get golf yeah whatever it would be yeah i'm gonna remember the doing the sportives you know get well welcome sportive and the flanders sportive because i always forget that you know just like you said the vibe the attitude it's there for the pro race it's also there for the day before when you know myself ben delaney were riding up the quermont and there were a bunch of people cheering for us and shouting at us and taking our photo and spilling beer everywhere it was a real special experience so uh, I will always take that with me. Well, thanks for following us along on the Vela News podcast. Uh, we will come to you Sunday evening from Paris-Roubaix. I will hopefully still be standing after my time on the Paris-Roubaix Cobblestones, the Paris-Roubaix Challenge. So for Andrew Hood, it's Fred Dreyer. We'll talk to you later. Bye.